When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.
This is true news, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help us God. I'm Rick Wiles. Today is Monday, October 23rd, 2023. The world war threat level has shifted from serious to dire. A growing number of political, military, and business leaders around the world are quickly adjusting to the reality that the United States and Israel are rushing into a massive military conflict that will involve Russia, Iran, and China. True News is your source for the most comprehensive news and analysis of World War III. Let's start with a look at headlines around the world. We will begin in London with The Telegraph. This is a headline from this morning. The United States stands on the brink of global war with the Middle East and Asia. And then we'll go to another Telegraph article. The U.S. Navy is preparing for combat operations on a scale not seen for many years. And then we'll take a look at this Axios.com report. Pentagon ramps up Middle East, Middle East surge. Doc Burkhart's got the, uh, the details from this Axios article. Yes, Rick, and uh, some of the key points that uh, were brought out in this article. First of all, thousands of U.S. military personnel have been shifted around the globe or told to prepare for deployment. 2,000 troops were ordered to deploy to the Middle East. The Pentagon is surging support to Israel which includes providing air defenses and munitions. And an armada of American ships and aircraft are quickly amassing around Israel. Some other points that uh, the article brought out, that there are now two aircraft carrier groups, the USS Gerald Ford and the USS Dwight D. Eisenhower, each one of those, 7,000 sailors on board. Two amphibious Navy ships are equipped with thousands of Marines. You have F-35s, F-15s, F-16s, and A-10 fighter jets already in the area. And the U.S. Special Operations Forces assisting Israel with planning and intelligence support. The White House is preparing to use U.S. military force if Hezbollah attacks Israel. And that is likely imminent. (laughs) Uh, In fact, I'm surprised it hasn't happened already. I know. I am too, Doc. Um, One of the uh, more ominous signs of World War, this Reuters report, U.S. sending additional air defense systems to Middle East, says the Pentagon. Doc, they're not sending just Patriot uh, air defense systems. They're sending THAAD. Yes. And THAAD is a terminal high-altitude area defense. So the United States, according to Reuters, the U.S. will send a THAAD system and additional Patriot Air Defense Missile System battalions to the Middle East, according to the Pentagon over the weekend. Uh, why Why is uh, this an ominous sign? All right, the Patriot Air Defense Systems shoot down missiles in the atmosphere. Yes. A THAAD shoots them down outside of the atmosphere. Yes, the high altitude is the key part there. So... <clears throat> Hezbollah, Hamas, would be shooting rockets into Israel that the Patriot systems would shoot down. Right. But But why uh, would you need a high-altitude air defense system? For either Iran or for Russia. That's right. And that would be an ICBM coming in with a nuclear warhead. Right. 
So that tells you where their line of thinking is taking it, that this could possibly go nuclear. Uh, and in all likelihood, we're going to see something start shaking here over the next few days. Doc, um, Newsweek is reporting Israeli official threatens to wipe Iran and Lebanon off the face of the earth. Now, if you're in Iran and Lebanon, you're hearing these words. Now you're in a direct threat with Israel. Israel's Minister of Economy, Nir Berkat, issued an ominous threat to Iran and Lebanon in an interview published on Saturday, saying his country would wipe them off the face of the earth if Hezbollah opens up another uh, uh, northern front in the Hamas war. Barkat, in an interview with the Daily Mail, warned that Israel would view an escalation of Hezbollah's actions as an attack by Iran. The plan of Iran is to attack Israel on fronts. If we find they intend to target Israel, we will not just retaliate to those fronts, but we will go to the head of the snake, which is Iran, he said. Barkat threatened, we are going to make sure they pay a heavy price if, God forbid, they open the northern front. Went on to say, Lebanon and Hezbollah are going to pay a heavy price similar to what Hamas is going to pay. But that's not enough, he said. The very clear message is that we are going to be going after the heads of Iran as well. When will we do that? When we decide. Barkat continued, Israel has a very clear message to our enemies. We are saying to them, look what's happening in Gaza. You're going to get the same treatment if you attack us. We're going to wipe you off the face of the earth. So as this uh, continues to escalate, the rhetoric also escalates, Rick. Yes. Doc, I didn't tell you this. Um, about a week ago, maybe two weeks ago, as I was uh, packing up things in our previous office at the church that we have, uh, were in the process of selling, and I was packing up personal items in my, my office. Right. I came across a letter that I had received, I'm going to say two years ago, and forgive me to the sister who sent it, I don't recall your name off the top of my head right now. I don't have the letter with me in front of me right now. But, Doc, the Lord had given her either a dream or a vision in which she saw Lebanon completely scorched, the entire country burned to a crisp. And here we are now, and the Israelis are saying, we're going to wipe you off the face of the earth. There will not be a Lebanon. There will not be an Iran. Well, and I think things are getting ready to escalate in a big way. When they are openly attacking U.S. forces in Syria and Iraq, um, you know, that means their boldness level has increased. Yes. Yes. Uh, Because they've got to know that at some point the U.S. is going to respond. They're going to get into this conflict. And basically, when the U.S. gets involved, they'll, they'll turn countries into parking lots. I know. I know. Uh, but other countries will also turn yes. Israel uh, into an ashtray, and uh, um, we, we may uh, we may be on the verge of seeing the the end of Zionism. Uh, this is extremely serious. What's happening right now? This may be the end of the Israeli state. Uh, it would also be the end of Lebanon and Iran and Syria, and. Uh, you know, the entire Middle East will be on fire. But we may see the end of the Jewish state of Israel. 
because there may be nothing left of it. Israel may succeed in destroying Iran. Yes. But Iran is going to destroy Israel. Yes, and in order for Israel to succeed in their goal of Zionism, they have to eliminate practically every Palestinian on earth. They have to, because they're going to, they've had long memories for 70 years. Do you think the memories are going to just stop now? No. Um, and you're going to have a whole new generation of terrorists that pop up in response to Israel oppression. They, they don't consider themselves terrorists, don't no, they? No, I know they themselves, don't. They consider themselves uh, patriots who are fighting for their land. Right. Um, uh, Hamas is the violent uh, side of, of the Palestinian uh, people who are saying, hey, we're, 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 not, uh, we're not waiting for negotiations. See, the Palestinian Authority is saying, we will negotiate. Hamas says, we're done with negotiating. Right. We're going to kill. Um, the point is, regardless of your viewpoint on who is right and who is wrong in the Middle East, it really doesn't matter right now because an inferno is going to erupt and the Middle East is going to burn up. That's where we're at right now. Um, you know, we, we have a dear sister in the Lord who has been watching True News for many years. Uh, she she's an American missionary, and um, she has been living in in Aqaba. I'm not going to say names or anything because right now I think things are very dangerous. Okay, and she has been um, agitated for months that she was supposed to leave leave Aqaba and move to another place in Jordan. And I actually was uh, in. in Really trying to say, hey, you know, be be certain you're supposed to go. You know, just don't pack up and go. Okay, she's there by herself. Um, but when this war broke out, I, I started to look at it in a in a different light because her home was extremely close to the border with Saudi Arabia, Egypt, yes, and what else? Of course, Jordan. Um, but very, very close to Egypt and Saudi Arabia. And she actually got out, moved over the weekend, a long distance away from, from Aqaba. And I believe, I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to his people right now. So you're in the direct line of fire. You, you need to go. You, you need to get out. Um, it's very, very dangerous right now. And war is about to erupt at any moment, and when it does, it's going to be unlike anything humanity has ever seen. Because the Israelis, just as we talk about the Russians fighting for their survival, right. the Israelis are going to fight for their survival. Yes. Hamas doesn't have nuclear weapons. They don't have uh, tanks. They don't have, I mean, look what they have. Um, so they're, they're going to be out of ammo pretty quickly. And there's, there's a limit, a limitation to how much damage that they can do to, to the Zionist state of Israel. The second wave will come from Hamas. Hamas is in Lebanon. You mean Hezbollah. 
Oh, yes, I'm sorry. I said, yes, Hezbollah. Hezbollah. Hezbollah is in Lebanon. So the second wave, the second biggest threat to Israel is from Hezbollah. And they are very well armed. They're extremely well armed, and they have uh, something like 150,000 missiles and rockets that have a, a range from 30... 30 kilometers to 300 kilometers. So some of their, some of their rockets are going to be able to reach um, you know, very short range inside uh, Israel. Others are going to reach down almost to Aqaba. Right. Almost down to the, to the Red Sea. So if you think about Hezbollah, if they, when they, they're holding their fire. They, they have not – there's been a lot of uh, small skirmishes in recent days, and a lot today, Doc, a lot today. But Hezbollah is holding fire. Why, why, why do you think they're holding fire? They're waiting on Iran. They're waiting on Iran to give them the green light. Iran is in the driver's seat. When Iran gives them the green light to set off everything, I would – Look, I'm not a military uh, strategist, but I, my guess is that Hezbollah, if they have, if if the number 150,000, if that's an accurate number of rockets and missiles that they have, right? If they shot off 5,000 on the first day, they've got another. They still have another 145,000. So my my. My guess is they will they will fire off four or five thousand rockets and missiles on the first day, which will have a devastating impact on Israeli cities. You figure Tel Aviv's going to be leveled. Tel Aviv's going to be wiped out. The gay capital of the world is going to be wiped out. Um, other Israeli cities will take direct hits, but that's only five thousand rockets. If they go, Doc, if, if they fire 2,000 rockets per day and they have another 145,000 left, how many days can Hezbollah continue firing rockets? Uh, 29 days. 29 days. Then who gets involved? So Israel will then uh, take out Lebanon. Israel's not going to wait 29 days. They're going to scorch Lebanon. They will not wait. They're not going to sit back and say, okay, um, we're going to give you 29 days to, to deplete your, your resources. Then we're going to do something. No, Israel's going to come in very quickly, which means Hezbollah's not going to wait 29, 30 days to Shoot deplete. The the, yeah, they're going, to, they're going to fire everything. It's going to rain metal on Israel. It will rain metal on Israel. But Israel will not sit back and let it happen because their very existence is at stake. And the entire Zionist regime will be at risk. And, of course, that will directly involve the U.S., too. Well, then the third wave will be Iran. Iran will wait until Israel scorches Lebanon. And when the world is gasping at the thought of an entire nation has been wiped out, 
There are a lot of Christians in Lebanon, folks. You've got to understand, a lot of Christians. Lebanon, when, when I was uh, young, Lebanon was an all-Christian country. Right. That hasn't been that long ago in my perspective. It was a Christian nation. The Christians fled over 20-some years. They fled. And, and, and now um, there's, a, there's still a significant but a minority population in Lebanon is Christian. So when you hear about Lebanon being burned off the face of the earth, understand that that means millions of Christians suddenly being taken out of this world and brought into the presence of the Lord. Then ask yourself this theological question. Well, if God allows it to happen to the Lebanese Christians, why will American Christians be spared? And my answer is, you won't. <laughs> you're not going to be spared. You're right. Because God is no respecter of persons. He's not going to give America a pass and say, no, no destruction shall come to your land. No destruction is going to be here, too. And so you, you have, I have, Doc, none of us have any guarantee we're going to physically survive this war. You have to come to this realization. You have no guarantee that you will physically survive the war. That's why you have to be right with God this very moment. This hour, you yes. need to be right with God. You have to be able to live every minute of every day in total peace that your soul is right with God, that there is no offense, nothing standing between you and the Lord. That's where you have to be right now because none of us have a guarantee we're going to survive this war. Yes. And it will come here. It, it's coming here. It'll come here. It's going to come here. Sooner or later, it's going to come here. So once... Once Lebanon is taken out, and that could be within hours or days or a week of fighting between Hezbollah and Israel. Once Lebanon is taken out, Iran will come in, and Iran has, I am convinced they have nuclear weapons. I am too. I think they've had it for a long, long time. Do you remember the former president Ahmadinejad? Yes. I often said when he was uh, in power, I said, that man, t his talk is too cocky. He's got something up his sleeve. He's way too cocky in the things that he says. He's, his pride, his, he's, he's letting it out that they have weapons that we don't know anything about. And I remember going back to the fall of the Soviet Union. In the 90s. Right. And, Doc, there were stories that um, Soviet, Soviet ICBMs had been sold to Iran in the fall of the Soviet Union because the black market was available. Right. And where did all those nuclear warheads go that were in satellite countries, Soviet satellite countries? Yes. There were there were news stories. Not even, not even talking about the ones on Russian soil. No, you're talking about all, all like Ukraine, other. right? Like Ukraine, 
Where did they go? Where are the where are the nuclear warheads that were in Ukraine? Because Ukraine was under Soviet control at that time. Well, there were stories. This is during the Reagan years and the Bush years. There were stories that that the the former Soviet military generals and intelligence officers were selling nuclear warheads. Do you remember the the, the uh, infamous suitcase nukes? Yes. What happened to all the suitcase nukes? Where are they? They may have been sold. They may be scattered all over the world. I talked personally with with uh, Colonel Lunov. His book is right behind you, Doc. Right there it is. There, there's his book, uh, Through the Eyes of the Enemy. Colonel Stanislav Lunov, highest Russian spy ever to defect to the United States, GRU military spy. He personally told me, that his job was to find places in America to hide Russian nuclear suitcase bombs. That was his job. Here in America. In America. And not only did they hide nuclear suitcase bombs, they also hid chemical and biological weapons. And he told me that they were, they were hidden near major American water reservoirs for cities. That the reservoirs would be poisoned immediately. Uh, Colonel Lunov told me that there at all times are Russian Spesnaz troops inside America. At all times. 24 hours a day. I can believe that. 365 days a year. Why wouldn't there be? <laughs> and he said they're not, obviously they're not walking around in uniforms. They're in business suits. They're medical doctors. They're professors. They're news reporters. They're, they're businessmen. And he said they have a clean record. Everything is squeaky clean so that their identity uh, as, as commandos is not exposed in the United States. But he said when the war starts between Russia and the United States, he said they will get a, a signal two weeks before the war. And they will, be, they will be deployed. He said they will disappear in the country. He said. He told me. He says you will see Russian people, high level positions in business and politics and you know media and universities. He said they'll just disappear because they will be deployed and they will go retrieve the nuclear weapons, the chemical and biological weapons, and be on standby for immediate action. They will have a day that they go into action inside the USA and start carrying out warfare in, in America. Folks, are you ready for this? This is what's coming. We're, it's on our doorstep right now. I've been warning about this since 1998. And I never believed this would go on this long, that this would extend for 25, 26 years but we're here. Well, we're only a quarter of the way through the Hundred Year War. That's true. But Doc, God's grace, His kindness, His mercy, he, he, he has extended the time. For what purpose? To give people time to repent yes. and come into the kingdom. And so it looks like we have finally arrived at that day that Henry Gruber and a lot of other prophets saw this day coming. 
And what did Henry see? He saw he saw the U.S. military commanders in a bunker giving a command to fire our missiles, and they wouldn't go. And on. nothing happened. They were dead in the silos. Nothing. They didn't fire. What would what would cause that? Cyber attack? EMP. EMP. So think about that. The war has started. The U.S. is being hit, and the Pentagon can't get their rockets out of the silos. God has been warning America for decades. Dimitri Dudeman came to America and warned this country. He said in the 90s, America is Sodom and Gomorrah. I couldn't cope with that. I just, I, I believed this message, but I, I, I choked every time Dimitri Dudeman said we are Sodom and Gomorrah. I was like, whoa, wait a minute. We're not that wicked. <laughs> they got burned to death. They got completely scorched. Dimitri Dudeman was like, yes, that's what God says coming. And Doc, would you say we're Sodom and Gomorrah now? Now, now I would. I, I would say that we're worse. We would make Sodom and Gomorrah blush. We're far worse as a society. Yes, I, I was there, there in those early days with Dimitri Dudeman uh, and seeing him speak. And I as well, I was shocked by the the message of, of America being Sodom and Gomorrah because you want to believe that America is good. You want to believe it. But we're used to it. And we used to be. Yes. And, uh, you know, de Tocqueville said that the reason why America was great is because America is good. Well, we can't call ourselves good anymore, can we? No. No, we were Judaized. We were taken away from our Christian heritage, and we were Judaized. And now we've become wicked. And we're going to perish with the Judaizers. We, we, we attached ourselves to them. Yes. We moved from Christian to Judeo-Christian to Judeo. Yes. <laughs> so and so now, we're transition. now we're going to perish with them. And the whole world sees us as united with Israel. That's, That's right. Siamese twins. Yes. I'll show you some of the headlines. Uh, Sky News is number 14. Israel says it has evidence of Iranian involvement in Hamas attack but cannot elaborate. Yes. So it's a... Uh, once again, you're coming out with this secret information again. Uh, Israel has evidence of Iranian involvement in the Hamas attack that left more than 1,400 people dead and over 200 kidnapped, a senior Israeli military officer has said. Major General Michael Edelstein, a veteran commander who is working with the Israeli Defense Forces Southern Command, said the attackers were well-trained and well-equipped. You definitely can see evidence. We have evidence of Iranian involvement, he told a briefing with journalists on Monday after the Israeli military showed a nearly 45-minute compilation of footage from the October 7th carnage. The commander did not present any specific evidence of Iranian involvement beyond his testimony. He also declined to elaborate on what this evidence consisted of. He says, I cannot elaborate too much, but you can understand what I mean, not just about equipment, but more than this. His comments appear to go further than previous remarks by officials. 
about the potential for an Iranian link to the bloodshed beyond the fact that Tehran has long offered military and financial support to the Palestinian militant group, which controls Gaza. Rick, is but this so, a, so is, did the Israeli government. Yes. The Israeli government financed Hamas. That's right. That is a fact. So is it, are we seeing a replay here of weapons of mass destruction again? Remember that? Yes, because over the weekend line. they started talking about the chemical weapons. Yes. So now they're saying, well, we know for sure Iran was involved in the uh, October 7th attack. We know for sure. I can't tell you. But we got the evidence. We got the evidence, but I can't show it to you. And, and that will justify it. us attacking them. Number uh, 19, Sky News, also Hamas fighters were carrying instructions on how to make chemical weapons, says the Israeli president. So Hamas fighters who broke into Israel were carrying instructions. Now listen to this. They were carrying instructions on them, Rick, on how to make chemical weapons. Now this is according to Israeli President Isaac Herzog. Israeli forces claim they discovered the material on the body of a dead fighter in Kibbutz Berry, where an estimated 20% of the 1,100 residents were either killed or kidnapped. The documents, complete with diagrams, Rick, were shown to Sky News by President Herzog in an exclusive interview Sunday. Now, Sky News is unable to independently verify the claims. There's also no suggestion the fighters were carrying the elements to make a bomb on them. Uh, the source of the documents is, known, is a known 2003 Al-Qaeda manual. However, this doesn't prove a link between the two organizations. It's Al-Qaeda material, official Al-Qaeda material. We are dealing with ISIS, Al-Qaeda, and Hamas, Herzog said. This is how shocking the situation is where we're looking at the instructions that are given on how to operate and how to create a kind of non-professional chemical weapon with cyanide. So, okay. <laughs> Talk. so we got a dead fighter here, Hamas mm-hmm. fighter. And he's carrying an okay. instruction manual. On how to make chemical weapons, with diagrams. Right. And uh, the president of Israel says, we're dealing with al-Qaeda. We're dealing with ISIS. Two fictitious organizations <laughs> created by the CIA and the Mossad. Yes. Financed by the West, armed by the West. Oh, they were real in terms of, were there fighters out there killing people? Yes. yes. But they were they the creation of the West. Yes, all three groups. All three of so them. So is Hamas. Benjamin Netanyahu has a long history of supplying money to Hamas. And he did it because he wanted a counter-Palestinian group to, Yasser to split Yasser Arafat, who's no longer with us, but the Palestinian Authority. Right. And so he propped up Hamas. And has anybody – I'm not a defender of Hamas, but has anybody ever thought about this? There would be no Hamas if there were no Zionists in Palestine. Right. If you listen to the Sean Hannity's and the Lindsey Graham's, Hamas is coming to America. They're coming to get us. They're coming here. They're coming. They're going to rape your wife. You know, cut off your, your kids' heads. Cut, yes, and then eat your lunch. Okay? They're coming. Why? They hate America. They hate our freedom. Remember, Sean Hannity told us for years (laughs) about Iraq. They hate hate our freedom. They hate freedom. They hate freedom, and they're coming here to kill us because they hate freedom. There would not be a Hamas if the Zionists had not taken over Palestine. There was no reason for Hamas. It is an outgrowth of the anger 
among the Palestinians, it's the most extreme expression of their anger. Most Palestinians are very, very peaceful people, and they're, I don't know where, how they, they, they live. God gives them enough grace to live under the conditions I, that – I, I mean, in there. Gaza, you only have electricity about four hours per day, and it's never the same four hours. It's whenever the Israelis are always playing mind games with you, turning on the water, turning it off, turning on the electricity. That's been going on for what, 10, 15 years? How do they live like that? They tolerate it. But Hamas is the more radical side that says we're not going to tolerate it. We're going to fight. So, But the bottom line is Netanyahu gave them money. He yes. propped them up. So well, now we're being told they have they have chemical weapons. So I, I, you know, I could just I could imagine Dick Cheney rising up from his nursing home bed and saying, "Aha! Now we know where Saddam Hussein sent his chemical weapons. We've got them. I'm going to call W. W. We've got them. We finally found the weapons of mass destruction. They're in Gaza." Let's bomb Gaza. Because the American people, the whole world was fed that lie. Yes. In 2003. Tony Blair went before the parliament and said, we are 45 minutes away from destruction. Yes. 45 minutes from destruction. He terrified the British people to justify going to war against Saddam. What was the 45 minutes? It would only take 45 minutes for Saddam to get chemical weapons into London and destroy the British Empire. Weapons of mass destruction, okay? It was called his dodgy dossier. That was the, that was the name of it, the dodgy dossier. The dossier that nobody could see. However, there was a scientist, what was his name? The scientist, or the British scientist, uh, who disagreed with the dossier, and he was found in a field with his wrist slashed. Somebody took him out. British scientists who said, that's not true. These, th- these things in this dossier are not true. And, and I forget his name, but uh, he was, that was a big story there for a while. Um, the propaganda is ramped up again, and the war is on Netanyahu of anyone has wanted more than anybody else to wipe out the Palestinians and to wipe out the Iranians. David Kelly. David Kelly. Dr. David Kelly. Yes, sir. Dr. David Kelly. They killed him. They murdered him. And then they said he committed Arkansas. <laughs> British, British style. Yes, yes. He committed Arkansas in Great Britain, found in a pasture field, bled out. No, he... He spoke out, and then he bled out, because he told the truth about what Tony Blair and George W. Bush were doing. And who was behind that war? The Zionists. Yes. We went to war for the Zionists. And America has been in nonstop war in the Middle East since the days of George W. Bush. We're still in it to this day. And it's all wars for Zionism. This may be the end of Zionism. I, Doc, this war, 
This war is going to scorch multiple countries, just in the Middle East. Israel, Iran, Jordan, Lebanon. Jordan, maybe Jordan, Lebanon, maybe Saudi Arabia. Syria is going to Syria be will be scorched. This this is going to change the map. Millions of people are going to die. For what? For Zionism. That's the reason, for Zionism. But Zionism may die. We may be witnessing the end of Zionism and the end of the Israeli state. It may come to an end in this war. But millions of people are going to die in this war. You can't... It's. It's getting so red hot right now. I don't see how you turn this back. Um, well, Rick, they've got to rebuild the world. They've got to rebuild the world. In order they have to, to rebuild that. the world. Yes. Yes. In, in order to rebuild the world, you've got to destroy the old one. Doc, I have proposed for at least 15, 18 years that Jerusalem will become the center, the, the headquarters of the new United Nations. It won't be the United Nations. It'll be something new. World War One, they gave us League of Nations. World War Two, they gave us United Nations. World War Three, what are they going to give us? We'll get something else. Whatever will be left of it, of Jerusalem, they will rebuild it and put the headquarters of the new upgraded version of the United Nations, League of Nations, they'll put it in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem will be declared the capital of the world. I could see that happening. I really could. Just based on our on our conversations that we've had with people of influence and just watching the trends in the news, you understand that Israel will allow itself to be destroyed to become what it wants to be. And they have a philosophy, it, and uh, uh, one of our staff reminded me of, of, of Tikkum Olam. Where mm-hmm. they from uh, from destruction comes a, a new world. Yes. So there's a philosophy within that Zionist mindset. That's okay for it. Destroy everything. Uh, we will survive. We'll we'll just come back. You're right. You're right. I want to go down to number twenty five. I mentioned this a few minutes ago, but this is Harat's newspaper. One hundred and fifty thousand missiles aimed at Israel. How far does Hezbollah's deadly arsenal reach? Um, I want to go down. I'll show the uh, the, the diagram from uh, the newspaper on, on the left. There you go. You see the list of missiles and the ranges, and so you can see from forty kilometers down to uh, uh, what is that? Three hundred kilometers or yes. so, uh, and you, you see the range that these missiles and rockets will reach in uh, the Jewish state of Israel. And look, they even have Scud missiles, too, that can reach up to 700 kilometers. Hezbollah is well-armed. They've been preparing for this war for about 30 years. And, and so it's, it's, it's arrived, and they know that once the war starts, it's all or nothing. Every player here knows the same thing. It's all or nothing. The Persian, the Persian people are at risk of being eradicated. The Persians in Iran. How many wars have the Persians survived over four thousand years. years? They could be eradicated in this war. 
The Israeli population will be eradicated. The Syrian population, the Lebanese, the Palestinian. The, the bloodshed and the death toll is going to be unimaginable. And the shock to the world when this war is over will be so great. Folks, life will not be the same. Even if not one weapon touches American soil, if not one weapon, if Russia and China don't get into this war, life will not be the same when this war is over. It will never return to what you and I know it. There will be a demand for the end of war. There will be a universal cry to end war. There will be a universal cry for a new world organization. There will be a universal cry for a global army, for all nations to be disarmed, and a global army. Folks, you can see where this is going. This is going to, this is going to move very quickly after this war is over. What were we told in Jordan by that prominent businessman? He said his peers, meaning globalists, were waiting for the Third World War so that they could get the world order built. Right. And he said nothing's going to happen until there's a war. And then after the war, the new world order will arise. And he said the attitude among leaders of the world is let's get it over with let's just let's just get this war done with so that we can get on with building the new world order right matter of fact i want to show you um i'll get there in a moment here by the way uh a reminder about american reserves you are doing great folks true news audience you're making the folks at american reserves work uh, and they are shipping out food as fast as they can. They still have a good supply, but you've put a dent in that million dollars worth of food that was set aside for the True News audience. You really are putting a dent in it. Uh, my biggest concern is the, the shipping delay. G the time it takes to get out of the warehouse and get it on the road and get it delivered. They are going as fast as they can. But, folks, this war is moving as fast as it can, too. And at any hour, any day, the mass shooting could start in the Middle East. Uh, and so if you're interested in the food, go to AmericanReserves.com. Look at their website. Place your order and get in line to receive your supply. We'll be back in a moment after this break. The disciples asked Jesus about the end of the age. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you aren't troubled. For all this must happen, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines, plagues, and earthquakes in many places. I'm Dr. Robert A. Schuler, and I'm on a mission to encourage Christian families to prepare for tough times. That's why I'm endorsing American Reserves. American Reserves can help you build a food storehouse like Joseph in Egypt. American Reserves offers emergency food packages for a month or full year. Buckets of freeze-dried beef and chicken, assorted vegetables and fruits, and powdered eggs are ready for quick delivery. A panic 
can cause store shelves to be emptied in hours. Be wise. Be ready. Order food at AmericanReserves.com. I want to show you how quickly things are moving today on Monday in Israel. This is a number uh, 30 times of Israel. The uh, Israeli Defense Force is pressuring the Israeli cabinet to approve the Gaza invasion. Netanyahu is being held back by the United States. And I, I don't know, Doc, if, if the Biden administration is holding him back because they're afraid of a all-out world war or if it's because they're saying there's going to be an all-out world war. We need more time on our end. Right, to get all of our resources in place. Either way, there's an all-out world war. But the soldiers, the generals, are getting agitated with Netanyahu. And he he is at risk that the generals may just have a coup and remove him. Right. They may they may tell Netanyahu, you're, you're done. Right. There was an article that came out today that said that there was a beef going on between Gantz and Netanyahu, and I uh, forget the third one there, uh, and they had to come out and release an article. Well, we're all fine. We're Everything's good. You know when they put the article out. That it's not good. That it's not that good. That there's a lot of fighting and arguing inside the camp, and it's over uh, the delay. Right. The generals are saying, we can't keep the troops jacked up on adrenaline forever. They right. want to go in and fight. And you're holding them back, and, and you're, you're taking your instructions from, from Biden. And like I said, at some point, the generals may just remove Netanyahu if they don't get their way. Well, in preparation for that invasion, they uh, I thought it was odd the Times of Israel called it an incursion. It's just going to be an incursion. This is going to be a full-fledged invasion. IDF tanks and uh, soldiers are starting to do raids into Gaza now, trying to find the weak points and preparing for that ultimate invasion. So they're penetrating, they're crossing the border, engaging Hamas, and then coming back. Right. But what we're seeing, this is today, uh, October 23rd, London Times. Israeli tanks entering into Gaza. So there there are limited skirmishes taking place today between the Israelis and Hamas. Something that happened uh, last Friday, we, we've, we've talked a lot about the Greek Orthodox Church, the oldest church in Gaza that was bombed by the Israelis. And there's, there's very little media coverage about it. None. Really, yeah, there's less than little. There's none. But this is a Jerusalem Post article. Palestinian Christians accuse Western Church of complicity in Gaza deaths. And what what this means is that the Palestinian church leaders on Friday issued a letter to the evangelicals of America, the right. John Hagees, the the Robert Jeffries, all of the 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 Israel defenders, and they said, you are complicit. Your hands have blood. It, you share in the deaths of our families who have died, like at the church. What are you doing? Why are you siding with the people who are killing the Christians? And so they published this letter, and it got a little bit of publicity. I didn't see anything in the United States. And um, 
Now, uh, uh, this article, this is from the Jerusalem Post, and uh, we're going to share some of the information. But remember, it's got the bias of the Jerusalem Post and as we read. So it says, a dozen Palestinian Christian organizations have disseminated an open letter to Western church leaders and theologians calling them accountable for their theological and political complicity in the Israeli crimes against the Palestinians. Now, this letter, disseminated on change.org, sparked an outcry by the Western church community, community, including one leader who said that that petition will be dead on arrival. Uh, In the letter, Palestinian Christians said they were profoundly troubled by how Western Christians offer unwavering support to Israel's war against the people of Palestine. Now, the organization accused Western Christians of supporting Israeli attacks against Gaza, which have thus far killed several thousand people. The death toll is over 5,000 today. And reiterated the false narrative, now this is J-Po saying this, that an Israeli missile struck the Al-Ali Arab hospital. Uh, We categorically reject the myopic and distorted Christian responses that ignore the wider context and the root causes of this war. Israel's systemic oppression of the Palestinians over the last 75 years since the Nakba, the ongoing ethnic cleansing of Palestine, and the oppressive and racist military occupation that constitutes the crime of apartheid, the Christian Palestinians charged. This is precisely the horrific context of oppression that many Western Christian theologians and leaders have persistently ignored and even worse have occasionally legitimized using a wide range of Zionist theologies and interpretations. The brutal and hopeless living conditions in Gaza under Israel's iron fist have regrettably emboldened extreme voices of some Palestinian groups to resort to militancy and violence as a response to oppression and despair. It goes on to say, finally, and we say it with a broken heart, we hold Western church leaders and theologians who rally behind Israel's wars accountable for their theological and political complicity in the Israeli crimes against the Palestinians. Uh, there's This uh, open letter is still up right now. Anyone can go see it. You can read the full uh, uh, context of it. And it's on change.org here. This is a live uh, scroll from the uh, from the site itself where you can go through. And if you want to participate, you could sign it, too, if you wanted to. But I encourage you, uh, read all the uh, information that they provide because they lay out a case against Israel regarding the really the enslavement of the Palestinian people for the last 75 years. Yes. Let me give you an analogy. To help you process this, let's uh, let's look forward. Say ten years from now, and it's it's in the twenty thirties, and the Chinese PLA have invaded America, and they've conquered almost all of the United States of America, and there are Chinese people living everywhere. Settlements, they're settlers, right? Chinese settlers, and they. They're moving into homes that Americans used to live in, and they're they're settling there. Right, and uh, and there's Americans living in refugee camps in Canada and Mexico right. and different places. And let's say in Texas that all the surviving Texans, let's say uh, three or four million surviving Texans, and they're all squeezed into Tarrant County, Texas. <laughs> And Tarrant County, Texas, is the only place the Chinese have not conquered. I'm only picking out Tarrant because I'm familiar with Tarrant County. 
in Fort Worth, Texas. Um, could be any county. But just imagine that the only surviving Americans are living in Tarrant County. They're all squeezed into one little county in, in America. And they've been stripped away of their guns. All they've got are rocks. They have no way to fight to defend themselves. But the Chinese have, they've had trouble killing them off. Because um, there's, it's bad PR. They're, the Chinese are trying to clean up their image in the world. And they still have these, this problem of these three or four million Texans still alive living in Tarrant County. But the Chinese leaders dream of the day that they can kill them. Now imagine you're a Christian Texan living in Tarrant County and you're surrounded by Chinese troops. And this goes on for decades. Decades. And they, the Chinese cut your electricity off. They give you electricity four hours a day. Sometimes you have water, sometimes you don't. Sometimes you have food, sometimes you don't. And, and this has been going on since your granddaddy was a boy. Yes, your granddad experienced this. Now imagine... You hear that over in Asia, the Christian churches are standing with China. And there never was a place called Texas. Never was a place called Texas. It was always China. The Chinese people had a right to live there. In fact, the American Indians weren't Indians. They were, they were Chinese. They were they and had they read, make, and they could make a case. They could make a case that and there have been People yes. who have said the, the Native Americans most likely were Chinese. So what if the Chinese, using the same logic of the Zionists, said, that country, America, belongs to us. We settled it. We are the original settlers of America, and we have a right to our homeland. But these uh, Texans, these Texans, they're subhuman. Savages. Savages. Beasts. Animals. Animals. Look at the way they live. And the churches over in Asia are saying, we stand with China. And those Texans have no right to the land. Now, do you understand how this is working? Do you understand what the Palestinians are going through and why they wrote a letter to the American churches saying, what are you doing? Why are you fighting us? We're Christians. You're siding with the enemy. Well, you think John Hagee cares? No, he doesn't care. Um, Joe Biden. This is Ynet News. Joe Biden. I am a Zionist. How Joe Biden's lifelong bond with Israel shapes his war policy. Uh, so when uh, Joe Biden met with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and his war cabinet during his visit to Israel last week, the U.S. president assured them, I don't believe you have to be a Jew to be a Zionist, and I am a Zionist. He said that on several occasions through the years. What I didn't know was this. During his 36 years in the Senate, uh, Mr. Biden was the chamber's biggest recipient in history of donations from pro-Israeli groups taking in $4.2 million. That, that's just what they know about. So Joe Biden is the number one political Zionist in American politics. And he's the president. Right it's now. all about the Benjamins, baby. And the Bidens like Benjamins. We all know they like money. 
Hey, they're dealing right now. They found a $200,000 personal check from Joe Biden's brother. Yes, from James to Joe. James, made for, out to, to Joe. For a loan repayment. A loan repayment. What was the loan? They haven't been able to provide that They, they can't provide the documents on it. But Joe, Joe likes Benjamins. And so he, he's the number one recipient of Jewish donations in the history of the U.S. Senate. Is there any wonder why we're in this war right now? China's got a puppet. Israel's got a puppet. They're sharing. Israel and China are sharing the same puppet. <laughs> Think about that. Israel and China sharing the same puppet in the White House. Are we going to have any time in the second hour? Yes, we'll have a few minutes. Okay, so. there's one more story I want to talk about. This is from North Korea. This is Yon Hap. Just to let you know. This is a big war. This is going to be a really big war. Yonhap. North Korea warns U.S. strategic assets will be first targets of destruction. This came out on Friday. North Korea condemned the arrival of U.S. B-52 bombers in South Korea, threatening that U.S. strategic assets deployed on the Korean peninsula will become the first targets of destruction. Pyongyang's criticism came in response to the landing of a nuclear-capable bomber, a key U.S. strategic asset, at an airbase in South Korea on Tuesday in its first known arrival in the South in a show of force against the North Korean nuclear and missile threats. Well, it uh, went on to say the U.S. would be well aware that the Korean Peninsula is in a state of war by law, and its strategic assets deploying in the puppet region are the first targets of destruction. That's coming from uh, North Korea's official Korean Central News Agency, and they released that in an English-language statement, claiming that provocations of a nuclear war against the North are progressing into a more dangerous stage. Pyongyang pledged to take a corresponding option. The U.S. had better understand, at an early date, that the more frequently the misjudgment is repeated, the more desperately the critical moment of the American continent will be approached. Now, notice that last sentence there, of the American continent, that this war is not going to be limited to Korea. It'll be coming here. I would be more concerned about North Korea hitting the United States early in the war. Doc, why did North Korea say the Korean Peninsula is in a state of war? Because they're at, they're still at war. We're, From, we're in an armistice right now. The, the Korean War of the 50s has never been settled. Right. We're still legally in a state of war with North Korea. And they reminded us that. For legal purposes, we are in a state of war. We have the right to blow up your assets and to hit your continent. Now, the big argument in Israel right now, Israel has a right to defend itself. Does North Korea have a right to defend itself from aggressors? From their viewpoint, yes. We're, the U.S. is I'm putting, a, rooting for the US is putting a nuclear bomber on their doorstep, and they're saying we have the right to take it out. I'm not defending it. I'm just saying, folks, there's a lot of people getting ready to slug it out. And... Hundreds of millions of people are going to die. We're going to take a break for station identification. We've got more news coming up, plus morning manna. Don't go away. You're watching True News. 
You're listening to WWCR International Shortwave Radio. You can find true news on frequency 12.160 from 12 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern and on frequency 4.840 from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. Eastern. Connect with us on Rumble, Facebook, X, and Getter. Welcome back. Hour number two, True News. We're streaming live on truenews.com. Faithandvalues.com, Rumble, Getter, X. What else? Uh, Twitter. Twitter. Well, that's X. Uh, so, Twitter, yeah. X. And uh, broadcasting worldwide on WWCR, uh, International Shortwave Radio, and uh, uh, American Reserves. Any day this week, will have a shortwave radio on their website. Oh, that'd be great. A lot of folks asking what we would recommend. And so we talked to American Reserves, and uh, they have a radio that they're going to offer. So right. I'll let you know when, when it shows up on their website. Hey, just a clarification for those that are listening to us live. We get questions about, okay, how can I listen at other times? And uh, right now, uh, the way you can listen anytime you want is on faithandvalues.com yep. uh, because that's where we have our archives for the the Godcast each day now. Now, in order for that to happen, you have to be a member of Faith and Values. And so we encourage you to go to faithandvalues.com and sign up today. Yes. That monthly membership is your contribution to keep True News strong. It's giving us a base of support it's a $9.99 monthly membership. And when enough people are members, it gives us a solid base to get through every month without uh, disruptions. And so it's, I, can't, I can't emphasize how important it is to us. We, we appreciate every gift. There are, we still, 99% of our revenue is coming through donations. And so please don't stop giving donations. But we're asking the people that never donated to become a member. Yes. If you were if you were a donor from, what was it, from any time in 2022, and we cut it off, I think, at June 30th of 2023, we said if you donated anything, then we're giving you a free membership for our first year. Right. We didn't – we wanted to show – uh, appreciation to our donors, but we said for everybody else, um, we we need you to become part of this of this uh, this ministry. And so, faithandvalues.com, that's how to support us. And those of you on International Shortwave WWCR, well, we would love to hear from you. Our mailing address is Post Office Box six nine zero zero six nine PO Box six nine zero zero six nine Vero Beach, V-E-R-O, Vero Beach, Florida. Our zip code is 32969. That address is going to be changing in the coming weeks. We'll have a simpler address. At our new location, the post office is actually within walking distance instead (laughs) of driving distance. We can actually walk over to the post office and get the mail. So we'll have a new mailing address uh, coming up in, in maybe this week. I, I got to check in with the people that run things around here and see. I don't know where it's at, um, but I think we, I think it's already locked down. So, um, please become a member and please help us financially. This is a critical time for the world, and join our morning manna Bible study. 
We love having people from all over the world with us in real time. As Doc said, the archives are available on faith and values. If you if you're not if you're unable to listen to the live stream every day and you want to listen to the archives, it's faithandvalues.com. That's why you need to become a member. Let's talk a little bit about politics like it really matters. <laughs> it's it's just to me it's irrelevant. It, it's it's a it's a clown show, but I guess we should talk about the clowns. Yes, and uh, apparently on Friday, uh, Jim Jordan's out as uh, you know being a nominee for House Speaker, and so that just opened up everything on uh, you know possibilities for who might be the future speaker, including possibility maybe even Donald Trump. Uh, so that's kind of back on the uh, agenda here. Uh, Representative Tom Emmer, of a Republican from Minnesota who serves as a House as minority whip, has announced that he's going to run for House Speaker. He already locked up an endorsement from former Speaker Kevin McCarthy, who still remains a popular and influential, influential party member despite his sudden ejection from the Speakership back earlier this month. It's been 20 days, Rick. Been 20 days now we've been without a House Speaker. Other candidates include Kevin Hearn of Oklahoma, who leads the Conservative Republican State Committee Group, Byron Donalds of Florida, who, who was in consideration back in January, but he's still a political newcomer with ties to former President Donald Trump and also longtime lawmaker Pete Sessions of Texas. He's been around a long time. So um, I would. Uh I was, you know, I didn't know Pete Sessions was running. I would say watch him. Keep your eyes on Pete Sessions. He, he may be the one that that pulls it off. He's been there a long time. He knows how the game is played. Do you think he has the potential to bring the Republican Party back together? Somebody better do it. Uh, I'm not happy with what Mr. Gates did. I'm not happy with him at all. Uh, this is a mess. Kevin McCarthy. Uh, you know, whatever your feelings about Kevin McCarthy, at least he was moving things forward. The The Biden investigation was going forward. The impeachment had started. I wasn't happy with his uh, position on Ukraine funding and uh, obviously things like that. But he was moving forward the investigation of Biden. All of that basically has stopped. Right. No one's talking about it. No one's considering it. It's not in the news anymore. And Jim Jordan has been weakened. Yes. Jim Jordan was the, the, the point man in the investigation. He's been weakened by this. So Matt Gates has really done a disservice to everybody. Politically, his views, I agree with Matt Gates on his views. But his tactics. But his tactics. He's, he had such a personal hatred of Kevin McCarthy. It was just hatred. His venomous hatred. He wanted to bring down Kevin McCarthy and teach him a lesson. And he did it. And so now the House of Representatives is without a speaker at a time of war. And, you know, the House speaker is number three in line for the presidency. If Joe Biden would die and Kamala Harris would not show up or something, it goes to the House speaker. Right. There's no House speaker. Uh and, and it shows that the Republican Party is uh, 
like a ship without a rudder. It, it doesn't know where it's going. It's floundering. They had Biden on the ropes. And, and now they just let him get back up on his feet. Of course, he can't stay on his feet <laughs> if he has to walk up steps. But they, they, they handed him a present. Matt Gates. I can understand why so many Republicans despise Matt Gates because and they're not going to work with him in the future. They're now, not going to work point. with him, and anything that he does um, is going to go nowhere. He's lost his uh, effectiveness, and he will destroy the Freedom Caucus because people will quit the Freedom Caucus because they don't want to be in a group led by Matt Gates. Right. So. He's, you know he's going to run for governor of Florida? What? Yes. Oh, I hadn't heard this. Oh, yes. He's planning to enter the Republican race for governor in 24. Really? Yes. Oh, that, no, nah, that's surprising. I'm not going to vote for him. There's no way. I, I don't like his personality. I just don't like it. Uh, I, I don't like his questionable past. There, there are two... There's too many questions yes. about Gates, too many. And even if you agree with everything the man talks about, there are just so many questions. Uh, I, we, I, we could spend a half hour just talking about them. But. Kevin McCarthy was not my first choice to be speaker, but I was pleasantly surprised after he became the speaker. Other than Ukraine, the funding for Ukraine, but he did refuse to allow Zelensky to speak. So right. there were some things about McCarthy that even on Ukraine that I liked. But this is a mess. This is a real mess. Uh, to, we're, we're in a world war, and the Republican Party can't even get their act together and pick a speaker. Will they bring in Donald Trump? I don't think they could, I don't even think Donald Trump could get 217 votes right now to be the speaker. I don't think it would happen, Doc. Well, he'd have to be nominated first. They'd have to get that yes. in the in the caucus first to be nominated. But they don't have the Republicans don't have they don't have a hero right now. Right. There's no Ronald Reagan anywhere. I mean, if Ronald Reagan was alive, they could nominate Ronald Reagan and he could be the speaker. But who do they have? Newt Gingrich? They can bring back Newt. I, don't rule that out. Don't rule it out. Well, I heard Newt in an interview say he would never consider that. All right, but so then, then things, we can rule it out. But, but, hey, in politics, things change with the wind. The House Speaker does not have to be an elected member of the House. It, it just says the Constitution says the House shall choose its Speaker. Well, Newt Gingrich would disagree with you on that one. I know. Even he, though the Constitution makes that yes. clear. Yeah, I know. His, his, he believes that you do have to be a member of the House. But who do they have? Who's a unifying force that would bring the Republican Party together? There's nobody out there. There are no names that come to mind. There were people voting for Boehner in the last ballot. Oh, my Lord. (laughs) Boehner. W? Are they going to bring back W. Bush? Uh, it's it's a mess. Hey, Donald, we got a minute here. I want to quickly, I want to show you a, an ad that the Trump campaign put out just a few days ago. Remember, Hillary Clinton said the Trump voters need to be deprogrammed, reeducated in a concentration camp. This is the ad put out by the Trump campaign. With Trump taking a commanding lead and Bidenomics hurting American families. 
genius Hillary Clinton has come up with a way for Biden to win. There needs to be a formal deprogramming of the cult members. Formal deprogramming of the cult members. Deprogramming of the cult members. A brilliant plan. And here's what that would look like. Pay attention. Joe Biden will defeat him. Biden has done an amazing job. Amazing, amazing job. But there's one small problem. The basket of deplorables. 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 Working Americans are idiots. And they know who's on their side. To American workers watching their take-home pay shrink and watching inflation destroy their family and their lives, to all of you, I have your back. I'm Donald J. Trump, and I approve this message. The powerful ad of uh, zombies being deprogrammed, or being programmed, you know, um, Donald Trump's got to stay out of prison. That's his big challenge. They're moving fast to lock him up. We're going to take a break. We'll be back in a minute with today's Morning Man of Bible Study. Are you concerned about this economic storm and how your IRA and 401k will fare during these turbulent times? Top experts are predicting now is the time to be protecting your assets with physical gold and silver. Find out why Genesis Gold Group is the number one recommended company by your favorite preppers and homestead channels. Receive Genesis Gold Group's free definitive gold guide today or give them a call at 800-200-GOLD. Okay, let's get started. Let's pray. Yes. Dear gracious Father, Father, we thank you. We love you. And we glorify you for this wonderful, beautiful Monday day, Monday morning. Father, thank you for your goodness and your kindness. We invite the Holy Spirit into this Bible study to teach us your word, to reveal Jesus Christ to us, to help us understand his ways and his kingdom, and that we would be stronger, brighter witnesses for him in this dark world. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Lord, thank you for your word today. Uh, We're in Acts chapter 15, and starting at verse 12, today I'm reading from the King James Version, going to verse 21. Then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. And after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And to this agree the words of the prophets, as it is written. After this, I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. And I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord. And all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. Wherefore, my sentence is that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God, 
but that we write unto them that they abstain from pollution of idols and from fornication and from things strangled and from blood. For Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. God bless his word this morning. Amen. This is going to be a very important lesson because it has direct um, connection to what is happening in, in the Middle East right now in regards to the identity of God's people. So I don't know how long. Uh, I don't know if we'll get through all this today. Um, I'm going to take my time because the points that I want to make today are very important, and I don't want to rush through it. So we look at verse 12. All the multitude kept silence, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul reporting what signs and wonders God had done among the nations through them. If you go back to the beginning of chapter 15, what you will see throughout this chapter is that there are three sets of speeches. First, Peter. Then the second set of speeches, Barnabas and Paul. And then the third speech, James. So the question at hand, this is a meeting of the the entire church in Jerusalem. And the question at hand, excuse me, the question at hand was whether the Mosaic law was binding on Gentile converts. The term multitude suggests that this was not just a gathering of church elders, but the entire body of believers in the city. And the, the term gave audience indicates that the people were attentive and actively listening to the proceedings of the Jerusalem Council. So picture in mind, there's a, this is a council meeting. If you were at a city council meeting, you're in the audience, the mayor and council are, are in front of you at their, at their desk, and they're hearing evidence, and there's debate. That's what's taking place in this meeting. The apostles are in the front, the church elders, the church members are in the audience. There's a debate taking place. Speeches are being made. So, as I said, the issue, the issue that's being discussed in this town hall church meeting was whether to impose obedience to the Mosaic law on Gentiles who convert to Christianity. And it was a difficult issue with valid arguments on both sides. The Jewish Christians had a deep attachment to the Mosaic Law, the respect for its divine origin, its ancient history, its national significance. It was not easy for them to consider walking away from it. And we don't minimize it either. We, we no, not at all. We recognize that it's important. It's it was part of God's plan. Uh, God had you know an outline for it, and so there's no argument on our part about the significance of the old covenant mosaic law. It, it had its purpose, 
Um, so there's no argument from us on that either. So we agree on that part. No, no, not at all. This was a monumental decision. It was not something that they just casually debated and, and, and passed a decision. <coughs> Verse 12 portrays, portrays a diverse assembly of Christians who were paying attention and showing great respect towards the elders and the, and the apostles. And Barnabas and Paul were given the opportunity to uh, share their experiences of, of God's uh, miraculous work among the Gentiles. And Peter then passionately argued that Gentile converts should be accepted without adhering to the Jewish law and customs. And his argument was so strong, passionate, and compelling that it silenced the opponents who insisted on adherence to the Mosaic law. Go back to verse 12. All the multitude kept silence. That's how, that's how persuasive Peter was. Right. It even silenced the Judaizers. So the outcome would determine whether Christianity would remain a, a Jewish sect within Judaism linked to Jerusalem or whether it would extend worldwide to all non-Jews. Barnabas and Paul followed Peter, sharing their experiences, emphasizing that God had endorsed the admission of Gentiles into the faith without circumcision, and that he did it through signs and wonders. They explained that God had performed miracles among the Gentiles through their ministry, and that this was evidence of God's approval of their work. The implication of their argument was that if God had accepted Gentile believers without imposing Jewish rituals, then it followed that such requirements should not be imposed by men on them now. That's at the core of this debate. If right. God accepted them, saved them, baptized them in the Holy Spirit, and performed miracles, what are we having this discussion about? God has already spoken. He's already said, I, I accept them. <coughs> I approve of them. Well, the Judaizers were basically arguing that God was wrong. <laughs> you got it, Doc. <laughs> so, I mean, so no, God's got... Uh, we like Jesus and everything, but he, he's got this one wrong. So Jesus uh, is, uh, once again, Jesus isn't enough. Yep. So somebody, I'm certain, uh, recalled in Acts 4, uh, obviously they didn't say, hey, I want to bring up Acts 4, but they, rec <laughs> they recalled something that we know about in Acts 4, verses 29 and 30 where the disciples had prayed for signs and wonders to be done in Jesus' name. Acts 4, 29, 30, And now, Lord, behold their threatenings. Whose threatenings? The Sanhedrin. And grant unto thy servants 
that with all boldness that they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. So I'm, I'm certain that was brought up. And somebody said, look, we prayed. When we were being persecuted by the Sanhedrin, we prayed that God would perform signs and wonders. And he's doing it, and it's among the Gentiles. And this is proof our prayers were answered. So we get to verse 13, 14. After they were silent. This is after the Paul and Barnabas testimony. of James answered, brothers, listen to me. Yes, yes. So Paul and Barnabas completed their, and James stood up and said, brothers, listen to me. Simeon has reported how God first visited the nations to, what's that, Doc? Uh, you, uh, you? Yeah, you dropped out there for just a few seconds, so. Okay. So I'll go back. Uh, Paul and Barnabas finished their speeches. Then James stood up and said, brothers, listen to me. Simeon has reported how God first visited the nations to take out of them a people for his name. James, the brother of the Lord, the half-brother of Jesus, was highly esteemed in Jerusalem and was considered the chief leader of the Jerusalem church. In fact, he's often referred to as the Bishop of Jerusalem. And he was the one who spoke after the others had finished. And James's speech is seen as the crucial turning point in the council's deliberation. His authority and leadership in the Jerusalem church was evident in his role as the presiding official of the council meeting. If you've ever been, again, in a, like a city council meeting or any kind of official hearing, and there's heated arguments on both sides, often there's a highly respected person in the meeting who remains silent throughout the debate and then stands up and uses very wise words to bring all sides together and accept a compromise. That's what James did. He had great wisdom. His words were carefully chosen and he, he moved the entire assembly into being in one accord again. They had been divided. He knew it. He knew the church was split, and he had to bring them back into one accord. But this was a highly contentious issue. So he began his uh, address with the typical Jewish salutation, men and brethren, hearken to me. And in his speech, James confirmed the divine call of the Gentiles, which had been emphasized by Peter's speech. Notice that James referred to Apostle Peter as Simeon. Simeon is the uh, more Hebrew form of the name Simon. Right. 
And James is uh, clearly speaking to a predominantly Jewish audience, Jewish Christians. And so he, he reminded everyone, I know who I am. I know where I came from. I know where all of you have come from. I know who this is. This man we call Peter. And his name is Simon, but we know him as Simeon. He's stressing the Jewishness of his heritage and of Peter. And saying between the lines, folks, Simeon, this Jewish man, Simeon, he has accepted Gentiles in the church because God spoke to him in a vision. So Simeon, which is Peter, had previously spoken how God visited the Gentiles. And this is back with Cornelius in Caesarea. But he, this is what's important. James supported his argument with a prophetic testimony from the Old Testament that foretold the inclusion of Gentiles in God's plans. James's citation of this prophecy highlighted the idea that the Gentiles would seek after the Lord and be accepted by God. But look at verse 14. Simeon has reported how God first visited the nation's Listen to this. To take out of them a people for his name. That's you and me. That's right. <clears throat> don't let any Judaizers, don't let any Christian Zionists tell you that you're not the holy nation of Israel. How God first visited the nations, the nations, the nations of the world to take out of each nation a people for his name. In other words, I don't want to <laughs> trivialize it, but God went on a shopping spree. Like and he that. went country to country. He went country to country and he put Gentiles in. I like that his basket and he checked out with them and you know what he paid you know what he paid for him he used the blood of his son jesus he picked him out of every country and checked out with him and paid with jesus's blood and we are his we are in his nation we are in his holy nation but god's visitation in their nation changed their status god's visitation included the extension of his grace to the Gentiles. The purpose of God's visitation to the nations was to take out of them a people for his name. This term, people for his name, reflects the importance of God's name and honor in this divine plan. The Gentiles were previously outside God's covenant, but they're now brought inside for his purposes. 
So this means God was going to bring the Gentiles into Israel. They they did know it, but they had in their own minds, they're going to become Jews like us. Yes. That's, that wasn't God's plan. The idea of being a people for his name implies a special relationship and identification with God. And so this marks a major shift in the understanding of God's plan, that Gentiles were included in God's plan from the beginning. Right. That's the important part there. From the beginning. And it has been prophesied. Yes. So our our, uh, Christian Zionist friends, (laughs) who don't like to be friendly with me, What they teach, which is Darbyism, Schofieldism, they teach that the church, the Christian church, is a timeout. That Jesus came to earth to give the kingdom of God to the Jews, and Jesus failed in his mission. And, and you know, something went awry. We don't know what it is. Something went wrong. The Jews didn't accept Jesus, so God called timeout. And he created the parentheses. And they say that and exactly. Only, that's exactly what they say. And if you if you watch the interview with Pastor Chuck Baldwin, he said, Rick, that's that is exactly what I was taught in Bible college. Yes. Those very words. We're in the timeout parentheses. So so what when they say parentheses, they're saying, well, on this on this side is time that God was working with the Jews. And on this side of the parentheses is God once again working with the Jews. But in the middle, there's a timeout, and this right. is the church for Gentiles. And when, when the time of the Gentiles is over, God's going to close up the Gentile church, rapture them up to heaven, and get back to business with the Jews. That's what they teach. And that's why they're so adamant about Israel in this war right now, because they are absolutely convinced that that the Jews have to wipe out everybody in the Middle East so Jesus can come back. Folks, this is why I'm so so insistent on talking about what's going on in the Middle East, because you have to understand what these Christian Zionists are teaching in their churches. They're telling their congregation— God is going to wipe out all these Palestinians. He's going to wipe out all these Arabs. Jeffries, at, at first Dow, uh, Pastor Jeffries at First Baptist in Dallas, he recently said, if, you, if you're opposing the state of Israel, you are fighting against God. That's yes. where this comes from. This is where this comes from. This, this misunderstanding. The Gentiles were always included in God's plan. They were always going to be brought into Israel. The problem was that a lot, well, obviously the the hardcore Jews said no way. The Judaizers said maybe, but they have to become Jews like us. That's what this is all about. And James stands up and and who is a Jew and says, let's remember the the prophecy. (laughs) Let's look back to the Old Testament prophets. What did they say? So he's specifically quoted 
Amos 9, verses 11 and 12. Yes. And this is a prophecy from Prophet Amos that emphasized the restoration of the Davidic kingdom and the inclusion of the Gentiles within it. And the conversion of the Gentiles was seen as part of God's preordained plan known from the beginning. I think we can, I'll go on with uh, verses 15 through 17. James says, this agrees with the words of the prophets. Notice he, he is plural, prophets. But he only quoted one. Right. He say, hey, this, this, what I'm about to tell you agrees with all the prophets, but hey, I'll just give you one example. Amos. <laughs> he says, he quotes Amos. After these things, I will return. I will again build the tabernacle of David, which has fallen. I will again build its ruins. I will set, set it up that the rest of men may seek after the Lord. All the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things. James quotes prophet Amos pointing out that we're not two different people we're not the Jews and the Christians there's now one people there is neither Jew nor Greek we are a new man a new creation he argued God's actions in welcoming Gentiles into the church demonstrated that the specific Jewish observances of the law of Moses, such as circumcision, was no longer necessary for entrance into the faith. <clears throat> James said the argument in favor of including the Gentiles without the law of Moses is in harmony with the prophets. In other words, so the hardcore Jews and Judaizers were saying, you're throwing out all the prophets. And James is saying, oh, no. The <laughs> you're the one. You, you are the ones who are rejecting the prophets. Because if we read what the prophets said, they told us a long time ago that God would bring the Gentiles into Israel. The theme was including Gentiles has always been part of God's future plan and and the future is now. It's happening right now. That's what right. he was saying. Now, our dispensationalist friends on the other side of the aisle, Rick, they take that passage of Amos 9 and they use that as one of the arguments for the building of the third temple. Yeah, I know. And... Uh, uh, there are Jewish rabbis that do that too, uh, but they they are coming at it from a different direction, different perspective. But, but it's they, not a it's not a temple; it's a tabernacle. That's right. It's a tabernacle w was made of skin and flesh. That that was what was unique about the tabernacle. It was all skin, just like we are. So you know, it, it, he's given us a glimpse here what that future tabernacle is going to be like. Going to be made of flesh. Uh, we're going to be indwelled by by the Holy Spirit uh, in these uh, tabernacles of flesh that we're in now. But yeah, the uh, 
our dispensationalists and Christian Zionist friends use that passage out of Amos 9, somehow ignoring this passage. I don't understand how they can do that. Uh, when it's clear that James is confirming this prophecy is fulfilled with the Gentiles coming into the, uh, into the church. That's right. That's right. And the tabernacle is originally is where God met with his people. Tabernacle, David's tabernacle was long before the temple. Yes. God instructed. It was God who specifically instructed the creation of the tabernacle. Men created the, the temple. But God's plan was a tent. Real low key. Yes. It was minimalist. God was a minimalist at that time. Because I don't need don't need your big temple. Just build me a tent. I'll hang out with you at the tent. Right. God likes camping out. Yes, he does. So rebuilding the he Amos said the tabernacle of David shall fall. And but God will rebuild it. As as Doc said, the Christian Zionists say, Oh, that's proof that there's going to be a third temple. But it doesn't talk about a temple, it talks about a tabernacle. And what's being rebuilt is the body it's the body of Christ that becomes the tabernacle. We become the tabernacle of David. <laughs> As the body of Christ. And God is meeting with us. So. James's interpretation of the prophecy was that. What God had done through Peter at Caesarea. Was the fulfillment of Amos's prophecy. And the opening of a new way of incorporating the Gentiles. This is a very important point to understand. James was saying, the prophecy of Amos came true in Caesarea with Apostle Peter. That was a major proclamation. Yes. Jesus, who is humanly from the seed of David, according to the prophecy, would establish a spiritual and eternal kingdom on the ruins of a fallen tabernacle. And James explained that God's plan involved the restoration of the fallen tabernacle of David through the Messiah who would establish a spiritual eternal kingdom. And this kingdom would be open to both Jews and Gentiles, allowing all to seek the Lord and to be called by his name. Now, there's an important phrase in that prophecy. It speaks about the residue of men. In the King James, it says residue of men, not just Jews. It says the residue of men would seek after the Lord and his blessings. It means that the Gentiles upon whom God's name is called or who are called by his name will become his people. And James interprets Amos' prophecy 
as a reference to the Messianic age. Right. And it's interesting that he uses the word men when in Amos 9.12, the word is Edom there. Uh, so, so he's he's taking he's taking liberty of interpreting this to the council. He's saying when it's talking about Edom, there he's talking about all men. Yes. Uh, so it, uh, there are some people that get hung up on that particular, you know, rendering, but there's no uh, contradiction there or anything. When James is addressing the assembly there, he's saying. When uh, when Amos is talking about Edom, he's really talking about everybody. Yes, and and you have to accept that, or you have to say James didn't know what he was talking about. Right. So, the the tabernacle of David is a symbolic representation of the house of David, the kingdom of Israel, and the tabernacle had fallen into ruins that signified the decline. And the deterioration of the kingdom. Once again, folks, that thing in the Middle East called Israel is not. It is not a reincarnation of the kingdom of. Of David. No. That is blasphemous to say it. God's promise is to rebuild the tabernacle to set it up again. And this rebuilding is a spiritual restoration under the rule of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Yes. And the prophecy said that God would take action to renew and revitalize the house of David. And this, this restoration is a metaphor for the spread of Christianity around the world. It symbolizes the renewal of true religion and true spiritual worship. I want to remind you of something in the book of John, John 4, verses 20, 24. Jesus is in Samaria. He's talking to the woman at the well, a Samaritan woman who was not permitted to talk to a Jew. should say it the other way around. A Jew was not permitted to talk to a Samaritan. Right. Because of racial superiority. This is what Jesus said to her. Because the Samaritans were a a break-off of the Jewish people. They were kind of the cousins that went off on their... With, when Israel and Judah split. And so they worshipped... They worship God on a mountain. And and she said, but, you know, I know that the Jews said we have to worship down in Jerusalem. This is what Jesus said. The woman said first, verse 20, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you all say, meaning you Jews, you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Verse 21, Jesus said to her, woman, Believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know 
what we worship for salvation is of the Jews yet the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father seeks such to worship him God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth you notice it says God seeks what did Amos say he would do he would go into the nations and seek men and women in every nation to make them the people of his name mm, yes this prophecy well let me let me say this about that prophecy about about not the prophecy but what what Jesus said I have attended Pentecostal churches, charismatic churches, Baptist churches, non-denominational churches, uh, Anglican churches. I've been around and uh, been in a lot of uh, different religious settings. And I've, I've been in churches that were vibrant, alive, wonderful worship and I've been in churches that were dead yes okay. so when Jesus said the time is coming when those who worship God will worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth it, in many Pentecostal charismatic churches there is exuberant worship. The music is great. The singing is great. The raised hands, the clapping hands, the shouting, the singing. They are emotionally invested in worshiping God. But they typically have very little knowledge of the word of God. They're not discipled in the word. It's, it's emotion-based. Then the other extreme are Bible-based churches that are very strong in teaching the word. But there, there's no life in the church. Right. The people and, they don't. Would even, and they would even deny that the Holy Spirit works in uh, right. those in, in moving in the spirit. They would uh, say that the Holy Spirit ended all that 2,000 years ago. Right. So you have these two extremes. Yes two extremes what what we're saying here is Jesus said there's coming a day when you will worship him in spirit and in truth in spirit means to be exuberant enthusiasm is the word enthusiasm in it, it means God's spirit in you when you are enthusiastic you're really saying God's spirit is in me Yes. In Theos. Right. When we are enthusiastic in our worship of God, we are worshiping him in spirit. We're singing. We're lifting our hands. Some people may dance in the spirit. Some may shout. Whatever. It's, it's, 
It's exuberant, joyful, happy worship of God. But you have to know the word of God. Yes. So Jesus said there's coming a day when people, my people, will worship my father in spirit and in truth. The truth is the knowledge of the word. <clears throat> if you have knowledge of the word, emotionalism will not get out of control in, a, in an enthusiastic worship service. You won't have bizarre things happening if people know the word. But you have to bring you have to bring both together. That's what Jesus is telling us. Um, I have. I think. I think I'm going to wait here. I'll pick up with uh, verse 17 tomorrow. Okay. And um, but this this there's a lot to learn to understand in this section of of chapter 15 this is a monumental moment in the history of the church and truth is being revealed about the father's intention the heart of the father the heart of the father was always to save both jews and gentiles and it's significant rick that this passage even though it was meant you know for that day addresses the headlines today yes i mean it at the heart of everything going on in this conflict in israel and gaza is the idea of the chosen people and that's right at the heart of it what what do people believe about the chosen people who are the chosen people and if you believe that hereditary jews are the chosen people then, then you have to go all in and say they have a right to the land. I, w- I would disagree with that. I think they had the land and lost it, but, uh, and that God divorced Israel. But uh, they believe that. That's at the core of what they believe, that there's a, a group of people, hereditary group of people, that ha- were given a promise uh, thousands of years ago. And even though they never occupied the land for a couple thousand years, they now have a right to it. That's at the heart of the argument there. And if they have a right to it, that means they can do anything they want to to capture any of the land that was promised to them. Including killing the people living there. That's right, because that's biblical. That's Old Testament biblical there. And they would and have I've, no with that. I've had Christian Zionists quote those scriptures from the Old Testament and say, well, God, God told the the Hebrews to go in and kill everybody. Well, you're living in the Old Testament. Right. It's amazing how many Christians are stuck. You know, if you really want the Old Testament that much, then you should you should surrender your salvation in Christ. Yes. You really should. I mean, because what you're wanting is you're wanting it and you want an Old Testament Christianity, which is an oxymoron. Military <laughs> 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 intelligence, you know. Uh, uh, you can't have Old Testament Christianity. There, there's just no way. It doesn't work. It doesn't fit. But there are people that want that and uh, that somehow feel like if, if, if I can treat this group of people really special, then I'll be blessed. That's at the heart of it, isn't it? 
If I can treat this group of hereditary people a certain way, then God will bless me. If I don't treat them correctly, then God's going to curse me. And that's based on the Old Testament. Yes. Um, but so this this uh, question of the Gentiles and their role in the church, you know, it, it's even though they addressed it at the council then, that thread has been in the church since then. There are people that still want to take us back to uh, the Old Testament and to the law. They still want to take us back because, once again, like I said, Jesus Jesus just isn't enough for them. There's got to be more to this. There's got to be something I have to do. I have to stand on one foot or, or uh, hop in a circle. There's got to be something I have to do to earn my salvation. Um, and Judaism is a works-based salvation. You earn it. Yes. You earn your salvation that way. Doc, uh, I'm reading the chat. And, uh, Tim made a very uh, important comment. He said, God instructed the Hebrews to kill the Nephilim, the giants in the land. <laughs> That's a good observation there, Tim. Very good. Very good. Well, Doc, you... Uh, Old Testament Christianity, that's that's the uh, that's a profound statement for today, because that's that's truly what they are preaching an Old Testament Christianity. Uh, John Hagee, all of them, they're teaching an Old Testament Christianity and it, it, and there's no such thing. You can't have it. Well, hey, let's wrap it up. Um, yeah. Thank you, everybody. All four hundred and twenty one of you around the world. Appreciate you giving me this time. We'll be back here tomorrow for another Bible study and uh, meet you later today for true news. God bless you, everyone. We'll see you tomorrow morning. Hey, we'd like to see you tomorrow morning at morning manna in real time. And you can be there to chat with doc and me in the uh, morning manna Bible study by becoming a member of Faith and Values. Just go to faithandvalues.com. And if you want the seven-day free trial, you can check it out for a week before you make a decision. And even if you make a decision, there's no contract. You're not obligated. Uh, we want you to be happy. Uh, we just want you to become a member of the family and hang out with us every day on Faith and Values. And it's a way that you can direct message Doc and me and... Uh, I'm getting behind, Doc. It, it's the, the number of messages coming in, or <clears throat> excuse me, are really piling up, and mm. I'm starting to get behind on answering them. But I, right. I'm going to—I'll really make a, a a a brave effort in the next couple of days to knock through all of them. I got probably a hundred right now sitting in my inbox. I received twenty overnight. <laughs> I know. So. They just keep coming. Yeah. And then also, Doc has his own program called Ask Doc. And this is your opportunity to ask him any question. And uh, it is live every day at 4 p.m. Eastern Time on Faith and Values. Yes. And you're getting a, a nice little crowd of people showing up. Yes, consistently in the afternoon. every day. Usually a couple hundred every day. And so, uh, but yeah, 4 p.m. Eastern, uh, join us on Faith and Values, only on Faith and Values. That's right. And God willing, we will have more programs debuting in. 2024, we're looking for hosts that are called by God, anointed, have sound doctrine, 
and have a reason to be heard. A lot of people want to be heard, but you got to have a reason. Yes. And it's got to be God's reason. Love you so much. We'll see you tomorrow. listening to WWCR International Shortwave Radio. You can find True News on frequency 12.160 from 12 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern and on frequency 4.840 from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. Eastern. Connect with us on Rumble, Facebook, X, and Getter.